for this week on The Perfect Scam. So you lift the phone to your ear and, there, and you hear nothing. Nothing. It was dead silence. I'm walking back to my family room to sit down and there's nothing. He had been on the line, you know, advising me, telling me and doing all these details. Take this, do it this way. I'm, you know, waiting for him to give me some more details and there's nothing. He's gone. Welcome back to The Perfect Scam. I'm your host, Bob Sullivan. Today's story includes some pretty wild emotional swings. A grandmother who's arrested with $180,000. Another grandmother who, I'm sure you'll soon agree, is a hero. And a dogged FBI agent who, in addition to being pretty good at catching criminals, was once a contestant on the reality TV show Survivor. But let's start with the hero. I am Susan Donald, and I am in San Diego, California. And how long have you lived there? Uh, I was born in San Diego. I, I was the original owner of the home that I live in. And so you must really like San Diego. I love San Diego. Yeah, tell me why. Oh, the weather, of course. The access to anything within 15 minutes. The beaches, the mountains. <laughs> we have everything very close, too. We have theater. We have the best of restaurants. Susan's husband died three years ago, and she was just getting used to the idea of living alone when she had to deal with the isolation of COVID. But Susan was doing okay with that. I have a nice home, and I love to read, and... You know, it wasn't, for a lot of people, it was, it was difficult, but I ordered my groceries, you know, I could do everything online or, you know, so I, I really, I didn't mind it too much. But she was also dealing with another family issue. Her grandson, 18 at the time, was at a rehab center in Texas, dealing with addiction issues. This was a new situation with the grandson in Texas, you know, that he was there and, you know, going through what he was and doing well, but still it was a precarious position, you know, and situation. Then one day, still pretty early on in the pandemic, Susan suddenly has something much more pressing to worry about. It was pretty much a slow morning again with COVID. And now that my husband is gone, I was here alone. And it was quiet. So I was just, you know, I enjoy my paper in the morning. I don't think I'd even started it, though. I I was, I, I hadn't been up too long. So it was just a quiet morning where I was relaxing and, and not doing anything. Not doing anything until a strange phone call pierces her quiet morning. It rang, oh, 9.30 or 10, and I'm not an early riser, so first call. And something I ordinarily don't do is answer phone calls where I can't. I do screen my calls. This one said, private caller. And I I hesitated. I have a few clients. I was a professional tax preparer, a consultant with the IRS. And I had a few clients that had private callers. So I thought, ah, oh, it could be one of them. So I answered it. And on the other end of the phone is a frightened voice that says, Hi, Grandma. Um, I, I just, I'm calling you because I was just in an accident. I was just in an accident. It's exactly the kind of call every parent, every grandparent dreads. Frantic, he describes what had just happened. It's not your run-of-the-mill fender bender. Someone is seriously hurt. 
I was on my way to the doctor. I ran into a woman and he's, he's panicked and explaining to me that he was going to, because of him hitting this woman and her being injured, she was going to, he, they were going to take him to jail and begging me to do something to help him. And I, I said, Who, is this you, Brandon? And that's just my grandson's name that was in Texas at that time. And he was in a halfway house, so to speak, for treatment. He had just got out of it and got an apartment. So I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is horrible. And, and, and but I said, your voice sounds different. Oh, I, I, I have a cold. That's why I was going to the doctor. I mean, that sounds like a terrifying phone call to get. It was. News of the accident, of the injured woman, of her grandson possibly going to jail, it's all awful to hear. But given his situation, well, that makes things even worse. I was just, I went, oh my gosh, that's the last thing he needs is to go to jail. He's doing so well, he's recovering, and now this is happening. He was scared to death. I mean, you could tell, in his voice was, of course, frantic and begging me not to call his parents. He didn't want them to know. He was, you know, embarrassed and he had been doing so well where he was. Of course, Susan's first impulse is to figure out how she can help him. And it's, you know, you're, you're, you're a grandparent and the one thing we grandparents do well, most of it is, you know, take care of our grandchildren and love them and, and do anything for them that we can. So, you know, it's kind of a special position you fill as a grandparent. To make matters worse, as the call continues, Brandon explains that he's in even more trouble because the woman he hit was pregnant and she's badly injured. She might lose the baby. It's all so confusing, but as Susan tries to calm him down, he says there's a chance he can avoid going to jail, get back to that apartment tonight. He said he had a contact that could, you know, could help him avoid going to jail. And would I help him? My friend has a, an attorney that can help me, and he can come on the line. Would you, would you help me, Grandma? Would you do that? Susan says, yes, of course she'll help. And then she waits. There was a pause, and not a long pause, you know, 15, 30 seconds. And this real official sounding person with using attorney speak <laughs> came on the phone saying hi. The man says he can help Brandon, but only if they act quickly. We had a connection with a judge in the city where I was, how this judge owed, owed him a favor. And if I did this fast enough, you know, if we got it in in a few hours, we could avoid my grandson being taken to jail. But we'd have to do this really quick because it had to, they had to have the money that I would be getting back, you know, when, you know, when he went to court or whatever happened, you know, after, after he avoided jail. And he stresses to Susan, don't tell a soul. He says, You can't tell anyone because that nullifies our agreement and then it won't be effective. I mentioned him, well, why, how do you know my grandson? Well, my son knows your grandson and he's such a, he's, a, he's such a good person. We wouldn't want anything to happen, but I can arrange this. The only thing is it has to be done quickly. The price for Brandon's freedom would be he told me uh, I had to give them $9,000 
And again, I only had so much time because of the time gap between here and there and the uh, courts being open and everything else. So, and, I, and again, I couldn't tell anyone or it would nullify the whole thing. Susan doesn't have cash like that in the house, so she dashes off to get it. I get in the car quickly because I only have so much time and go to, the, in my case, the credit union and go in, wait in line, act like nothing's going on, and which was hard to do when you're nervous. And I had, you know, enough in my savings that I could just ask them to, you know, withdraw that much money in cash. And did, it, did anybody ask you any questions as none, to why you needed None. It? He had told me if they did to say it was for home improvements. Did you get ninety hundred dollar bills? I mean, do you remember um, what it felt like? You know, I can't remember. I know it was a lot of money. <laughs> Had you ever held that much cash no, in your I hands before? No, I don't think so. I really don't think so. So you, you walk back to the car. I'm guessing you're probably nervous someone was going to rob your money, right? Well, you know, your mind is so much on other on, on your grandchild and, and, get, and hurrying that you don't even, you don't worry about that. And she follows the man's instructions very carefully. I got the money in envelopes that there was a certain procedure he told me to use once I got the money. I had to use it, put it in a certain kind of envelope and put an address on it, names on it. The attorney's voice was middle-aged man, you know, that was very calm and nice and, and sounded, you know, very aware of everything. They hang up and she speeds home. The whole trip to the bank takes less than 30 minutes. As soon as she walks in the door, the phone rings again. There's more instructions. He told me that he was going to send out a messenger and he told me how to wrap the money and what to wrap it in, what to put it in, how to address it, you know, to this courtroom. And it, you know, it sounded very official and that was this judge and everything else. And by the time she follows those instructions, the doorbell rings. Actually, it's Susan's new ring doorbell, so she can see a woman at the door, but she can't see much. She's wearing a COVID mask. Susan opens the door. She didn't say much. She was just kind of there. Susan has strict instructions to stay on the line with the attorney throughout the transaction. And so I did, you know, one hand, you know, handing her money, and the other hand holding my cell phone and talking to him. And her being there and me doing that probably took, it was pretty brief, probably five or 10 minutes at the most for the whole time, if that. And she took it and he's there at the same time. He said, don't, you know, don't hang up while you're giving it to her. And I said, okay. She hands over the package with $9,000 and in an instant, everything changes. She walks out. Yes. She, she never came in. She, we did this at my screen door. And so you lift the phone. I mean, a, a second has passed. Right. So you lift the phone to your ear and, there, and you hear nothing. Nothing. There was nothing. It was dead silence. I'm walking back to my family room to sit down and there's nothing. And here, he, you know, he had been on this, the line, you know, advising me, telling me and doing all these details. Take this, you know, do this, do it this way. I'm, you know, waiting for him to say, okay, fine. This is blah, blah, blah. It's going to happen. And, you know, give me some more details. And there's nothing. He's gone. He was gone. 
And so is Susan's money. And what goes through your mind right at that moment? That it wasn't really my grandson. Oh, I mean, what it, a horrible feeling. Oh, right? it was horrible. It was awful. The other part was, well, thank God, you know, he, he Brandon's probably all right. You know, and I, I of course, I mean, I, I didn't even have to call after that to call and find out if he was all right. I, I just knew it was it hit me like a, you know, a ton of rocks, the whole situation, because for a brief period of time, I actually didn't have anyone on the phone or anyone telling me to do anything. And I had a, a chance to think about it and put it together and realize what had happened to me. So I sat for a couple hours just thinking through it. But Susan does have to figure out what to do next. Quickly, she starts to think that much more might be at stake for her than $9,000. Just thinking that, you know, about everyone that my family, you know, how I appear. When you're older, it's really important to you that people, you know, uh, realize, uh, you know, that you're not losing it, that you're not going into dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever. That's something that, you know, you're living in your own home, you take care of your own stuff, and it's really important for you to maintain that personality and persona. And, you know, just thinking that I had to reveal my gullibility, my what, what can I say? It's not really stupidity because it's, you know, you're not stupid in any respect, but that you'd been taken advantage of. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today. At roughly the same time Susan is sitting there thinking about what to do next, there's another messenger ringing another doorbell just 30 miles up the coast in Oceanside, California. And another person gives $9,000 to a courier, allegedly bail money, for their granddaughter, who they were told was arrested following a car accident. A pregnant woman had been hit. Only 24 hours later, that grandparent is told the baby has died. And so the granddaughter needs another $42,000 because manslaughter charges are pending. She wires the money. And then one week later, that grandparent wires another $57,000 to the criminals after being told their granddaughter had violated a court gag order. But Susan, after thinking for a bit, decides she's not talking to these people anymore. Instead, she calls her family and she calls law enforcement. I think I called the police right away before I called my daughter. And she only lives a couple blocks from me. So I called the police and I was very lucky in that they put me through to someone that, you know, knew or, you know, was familiar with some of these scams and they sent an officer out right away within an hour or something like that. Very, very nice, you know, very calming, very, you know, sensitive to the issue. I, I really had a good experience. He put everything down and 
you know, that it happened. And I told him, gave him the details. And he said he was going to have somebody call me later that day. And they did. They sent a detective out and they went around to the neighborhood to see if anyone else had cameras because she evidently, I tried, I had cameras in front of my house, but she must have parked down the street. We were trying to get a license plate. And he interviewed neighbors and went around and asked for different information. Remember, Susan had installed those video cameras. She had the messenger on video and was able to share that with police. I worked with this detective. She kept telling me what they were doing. They were looking for this person and everything else. They were looking for this person. This person who walked away with Susan's money, who police now know is helping a criminal enterprise perpetrate what's often called the grandparents' scam. Someone calls pretending to be a grandchild, then frightens or intimidates a grandparent into sending money. In this case, through a messenger, a money mule. The crime is skyrocketing, and the FBI has issued several warnings about it. But usually, stories like Susan's end here. Local police look for a person they cannot find who has long since left the area. And the money is sent overseas or somewhere beyond the arm of the law. But in this case, Susan has video. And in this case, that evidence ends up in the hands of an FBI agent who is determined not to let this crime become just another statistic. My name is Brady Finta. I'm in Carlsbad, California. I'm a retired FBI agent. So how long were you with the FBI? About 23 plus years. That is a pretty long run of the FBI. It was. It was. Uh, some of it flew by and some of it not so much. Finta is a pretty determined investigator, a determined person, certainly. And perhaps the name Finta rings a bell. People who are long-time uh, reality TV show fans <laughs> might recognize your name. Uh, tell me why that is. Uh, actually, not 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 very often anymore. That was a long time ago, Bob. But yeah, I was I I was fortunate enough to be on that show Survivor many years ago. And uh, every once in a long while, you know, a rabid fan would would recognize my name or my face. But it doesn't happen very often. What does happen often is what happened to Susan Donald. In fact, so many cases like hers crossed Brady's desk that he doesn't really remember the first time he heard about Susan's story. Well, you know, Bob, I wish I could tell you that Susan specifically or, or any particular victim in a lot of these scams landed on my desk or kind of took up a section of our day. But honestly, we have so many victims piled up in the hundreds and sometimes thousands. And of course, plenty of these stories never even trickle up to the FBI or a federal prosecutor because... They just don't get past local law enforcement. So often I hear from victims that when they call their local police and they say, you know, I gave $5,000 to someone I met on the internet, uh, they say there's no crime, that this is, you know, you did it voluntarily, so there's nothing I can well, do. First of all, if you're obliged to give up your hard-earned savings as a result of a scam, as, as a result of something that is fraudulently offered to you, it is still a crime. I hear... The same stories also, where our, um, a lot of our local police departments say, hey, that's that's not really a crime, or it's not a crime that we can do anything about. But even if a local cop takes the crime seriously and tries to pursue an investigation, 
like the police who initially worked with Susan. It feels like there are brick walls in all directions. In so many of these cases, that initial pork gets taken, the evidence get collect, gets collected, and it kind of stops there. There's not that many places they can go. That must be such a frustrating experience oh, as a cop to have for all of something us. close to a positive ID even, and then there's just nowhere to go. Yeah, and, and also when, when you are tracking the evidence, following the money, when you start to realize, okay, the money immediately usually leaves the area, a lot of times the state and oftentimes the country. And when you realize also that your next stop on that chain is nowhere in your county where you're responsible for investigating or your city, it is frustrating, but at the same time, it's kind of easy to shelf those cases. Right, to say, hey, we don't, we don't have any leads here in our city, and move on. And another reason these cases get dropped, the dollar amounts are small, at least by comparison. And I'll admit, you know, in the beginning, I was part of the problem, right? Where, where, you know, the FBI tends to look at fraud cases similar to the U.S. Attorney's Office from a loss perspective, right? So when a case presents itself, hey, what is the loss here? Well, in this case. The loss wasn't very high, you know, in reference to the other cases and the other frauds and losses that we have out there. But there's definitely something different about this case. For starters, by the time Susan reports the crime, law enforcement has become aware that someone, or several someones, was knocking on doors demanding payments all around Southern California. Yeah, so in the very beginning of this case, the San Diego District Attorney's Office the lead prosecutor, Scott Perillo, for elder fraud and abuse, and their lead investigator, Felix Salazar, came to my office at the FBI based on a referral from a friend and said, hey, we have, we have multiple of these cases, lots of them actually, but we have this one in particular that seems especially egregious in terms of people knocking on our victims' doors and demanding money. So local prosecutors make their plea to get the FBI's attention and the FBI's help. They don't just have reports about strange visitors. They have Susan's video, a picture of a suspect. That's rare. Still, the suspect was wearing a COVID mask in the video, and identifying someone from a picture like that isn't as easy as it seems. The woman who knocked on Susan's door um, did quite a lot to hide her track. She, she used a rented car, she parked around the block, and so she walked, and so right away, I can see how multiple jurisdictions would be involved in figuring out who she was, right? There's no doubt. And she was actually from L.A. County. The records for that one-day rental were up there. The money immediately went back up there. And as often as people think, hey, you have some video, you can figure things out. It's not, it's not that easy. And it is frustrating for our, for our local police that do they do have these victims. They want to be able to pursue this, but just the, you know, the context of the, of the evidence and the crime make it incredibly difficult. But prosecutors make their case that this case is worth the extra effort from the feds. If they can catch this one suspect, bring her in, pull on that thread, who knows what might be revealed. So yeah, they presented a heck of a case in terms of, hey, if, if we're able to identify this person, and use this victim as a launch pad to other victims, I think we could do some real good here. So 
yeah, the FBI, at least in my office, um, jumped on board. So when they had this particular victim, not only that was so helpful, but had this kind of great level of evidence, they just didn't want to let it essentially go to waste. So what does the FBI do with the evidence they don't want to go to waste? And what happens when they pull on that thread? Well, that's next week on The Perfect Scan. If you have been targeted by a scam or fraud, you are not alone. Call the AARP Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Their trained fraud specialists can provide you with free support and guidance on what to do next. Thank you to our team of scam busters, associate producer Annalie Embry, researcher Sarah Binney, executive producer Julie Getz, and our audio engineer and sound designer Julio Gonzalez. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP's The Perfect Scam, I'm Bob Sullivan. <laughs>